you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua all the way back in the Old Testament. Uh, You can turn to Joshua chapter 1. I'm glad you're here this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and I'm the pastor, lead pastor here. Really glad that you have chosen to um, worship with us as we kick off this brand new series, as you just saw, a series that we have entitled, He Who is Mighty. And we're going to be taking a look at uh, the first three chapters of this great book, about this great hero and these amazing people uh, that God's people called the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Uh, And we're gonna be taking a look at Joshua, this man who is a great character. And I realize that um, a lot of you have probably, maybe through the years, heard of uh, of Joshua uh, from the Bible, this this great character in the Bible. Uh, Some of you haven't, uh, that's fine. Uh, Some of you who grew up in church This was like, if you went to Sunday school and grew up in church, this was like the very first like time that like you may have gone and you had the like the felt board, the the person that was leading Sunday school as a child and they would put like a character, you know, a felt character of Joshua up on the felt board and then they would start talking and as time went on, the felt kind of came off the felt board and it would fall and Joshua would fall on the ground. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, that was, that's my first memory of Joshua. Sorry. Um, so that's for those of us who are 40 or older. But anyway, um, so uh, uh, we're going to be studying and taking a look at these next three weeks. Uh, what is this great hero, this great character of the Bible. But I don't want you to lose in this series the fact that this story, this narrative, and it is, it is a narrative, um, is, is not as much about a great hero named Joshua. It's not as much about uh, several other people, some of them very unique and interesting, like someone we're going to take a look at next week, a couple different characters as a part of this story. It's not as much about the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, it's not as much about um, you know, what was going on at the time in, in history. Uh, it's not as much about you, and it's not as much about me and our mission as a church, yes, there are parallels, but this story, make no mistake, is about a mighty God who is faithful and who is true. And I believe that you will see some parallels between Joshua and the Jewish people and your life and and your purpose and what God has called you to. And I also believe that we have some uh, things to draw, some parallels to draw between what they were going through and I believe what we as a church are going through right now. And so we will dive into this amazing story of of what it means to to find God's purpose and some of the challenges that come along uh, as you pursue what God wants. Wants you to pursue. Uh, the world has a lot to say about success. You could ask a hundred different people what success means, and they'll give you a hundred different answers. Uh, Colin Powell said this about success. He said, success is perfection. Wow, Colin, man, that's pretty tough. It's Colin Powell, okay? Uh, learning from failure, loyalty, and persistence. Tony Robbins says that success um, is found through a massive, determined action. Uh, Pele, the, the soccer player, says that uh, uh, success is no accident. Accident comes from hard work, perseverance, learning, and studying. I love that one. That one. And then Mark Twain says success is ignorance and confidence. Isn't that great? That's just like Mark Twain, isn't it? I love that. Oh, my goodness. I've got to tell you, one of the things that we're going to do today is we're going to see from this passage what God's formula is for success. And what God's formula is 
for us to be prosperous, but it has nothing to do with anything that comes from the world's idea of either of those two things. Nothing that the world says about success or prosperity will, will, will equate with what we're going to see today. But, but I promise you, when you begin to do what God commanded Joshua to do in these three chapters, you will f- find success and you will find prosperity just different type of success, a different type of success and prosperity that, uh, that the world says that we should find. Now, uh, I want to give you some context. We're going we're gonna to read the first nine verses today. We're just going to take a look at the first nine verses here of Joshua chapter 1. But I want to give you some context. I think it's really important. It's always important to gain context when you're studying God's Word. It's especially important in a narrative like this because you have to understand like where you've come from in this story to understand what's going on right now and then where it's going. And so I want to give you a little bit of context. The nation of Israel uh, entered, entered Egypt as a group of about 75 people. These people who were from uh, Abraham and, and uh, Abraham's following God from an unknown place began the whole history of the Jewish people. And, and they entered, they entered uh, Egypt. They went into the land of Goshen is what it was. And they went in as 75 people. Um, they thought that they were following God to the promised land. And when they went into Egypt, many of you know a little bit of the story, they ended up staying there for a little while. Uh, they ended up staying there for over 400 years. And 400 plus years later, uh, they had multiplied a little bit into over 2 million people. In fact, a lot of theologians believe that um, if you count everybody, uh, it was about 2.5 million people. That's incredible to think about that. 400 years in captivity, and and they had multiplied from 75 people to 2.5 million people. This group of people that the Egyptians imagine being like a leader in the Egyptian army and in, in you know, the, the court of the king of, of Egypt, the Pharaoh, like all of a sudden these, this group of people is so incredibly large and that probably was one of the things that caused the Pharaoh to be even uh, more oppressive to these people was just their size. They were, they were just massive in numbers, huge in numbers. And so we come to this point in time when there was this great struggle, this great tension between the Pharaoh and, and the Jewish people and this man by the name of Moses. Years ago, I did a series on Moses, probably one of the most unlikely people that you can ever imagine who, who, who would lead a group of people was put in charge of leading two and a half million people in bondage. And make no mistake, they were enslaved I think we may miss that when we read over this story. And even I sometimes kind of gloss over it and I'll say, you know, the the Jewish people left and they crossed the Red Sea and they entered into their freedom and they had once been enslaved. I think we can't understand the kind of um, slave labor and, and brutality that they were under at the hands of the Egyptians. And so this man by the name of Moses is, is leading, and, and a lot of you know the story of Moses and that sort of thing, but Moses was this leader. He, he was this great leader. He definitely had his struggles, but he led the nation of Israel, led the Jewish people who were two million strong to the edge of the Red Sea, 
and, and did what God instructed, and the Red Sea parted. And can you imagine, like, the victory dance that the nation of Israel did when they got to the other side of the Red Sea, they crossed on dry land, and they looked behind them and saw the wall of the sea come crashing down on the Egyptian army. Can you imagine the celebration that they had there? They probably, I mean, it was like, yeah, the New England Patriots celebration a few weeks ago. Like, yes, yeah, so we got six rings now. I think I did five, but I meant six. Okay, like, we got six rings now. We're going to celebrate. It was like Clemson. Maybe Clemson connects a little bit better in our crowd right here, right? Clemson, a few months ago now, went in the national championship again. Uh, and, like, you know, this huge celebration. And I can imagine that they were so thankful. They were so excited. But the celebration didn't last very long. Two and a half million people as they crossed over the Red Sea, as, as they headed towards the promised land, became a group of people who were pretty miserable. They whined and they complained, or as in England, I learned this word, they were whinging all the time. I love that word. That's awesome. Like they were really a group of people that just complained all the time. Can you imagine complaining about freedom? But they did. They complained about freedom. And Moses was their leader. He had to, to help them understand what God was doing. He had to help them through their issues, through their problems. And they were a group of people that just could not be satisfied. Moses had a very difficult job as a leader. He was the one who received the law at Mount Sinai. Um, he was the one who went up to the mountain and, and saw God, and God gave him the Ten Commandments, and he had to come down and instill those, those commands, the law of God, to the people of Israel. Uh, one time, uh, the, the nation of Israel's history, as they crossed the, the Red Sea and as they headed towards Canaan, the Promised Land, um, experts tell us it probably would have taken about 11 days under normal circumstances to get there. It took how many years? Do any of you know? 40 years. Something that took, what should have taken 11 days took 40 years. And at one point in time, in the first year, of wandering, a lot of experts believe that they came right there to the edge of the Jordan River and turned right back around and went right into the desert. But isn't that a little bit of a picture, a metaphor of our lives? Like we, we are you know, given freedom and, and God like gives us freedom from something and, and releases us from maybe a sin or a lifestyle that just kept us down or whatever it is. And, and we, we, we receive our freedom and, and our natural tendency is to go back to some of those things that held us captive before. It's kind of our human tendency to get right up to that land, that thing that God has promised. And we don't go across that river and we turn right back around and we spend exponentially more time in the desert than we should have. It's a great illustration. It's a great metaphor of, of kind of human nature. And Moses was this man who, who had to lead them. He was the, the leader. He was uh, the lawgiver. He was the promise receiver. He, he was, God um, gave him uh, this promise that he had already given uh, to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, which included, I don't want you to miss this church, it included the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, was told by God that they would inherit this land. And that was their goal. That was their mission to, to find this land, to, to arrive at this land. And at the beginning of this story, 
they find themselves once again on the edge of the promised land. They find themselves on the east side of the Jordan River. The, the air that they breathed in would have come from the promised land. The birds that they might have seen, the smells that they might have smelled, it would have all come from the promised land. And there they were. But there was something in the way of them in the promised land, the Jordan River. But even worse than that, their leader, who they had had a difficult time trusting, but now that he had gotten older and more wise and more experienced, they trusted him. Now he's died. And can you imagine the hopelessness, the despair that many of them felt? We've been wandering for so long. We were in captivity for so long. And now our leader is dead. Where is God in all of this? And I want us to take a look. That's where we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read just verses 1 through 5 first, and then we'll move down to the next set of verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise... Go, he says, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness, he even goes on to describe the land, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And there's two points that I want us to learn today. Um, the first point is in our lives, with our purpose, with our mission, with the vision that God has given us, with those great things that he wants you to accomplish, um, there's God's part and there's our part. The first thing I want to take a look at from these first few verses is God's part of the equation. God describes here, I believe, this idea that his future plan is rooted and based upon his past performance. And I know even for some of you, the idea of God performing kind of makes you shudder, right? And this isn't a performance that's based on just helping you. It's not just based on making your life comfortable or, or your life great. His performance is in his greater overall mission of redeeming mankind and your part in that story. Your part in the process, your part in the plan, your part in his great redemption story. And I think that it begins with a death on purpose because as we and our family have found out over these past few years, uh, Cynthia's dad passed away just a few years ago, uh, back in 2017, my mom in 2015. Um, death can be one of those things that in our minds may cause us to go to this place of, of, of despair and despondency and, and, and certainly discouragement. And you may be here today and you've had someone in your life who has helped lead and guide you like we have had and like the nation of Israel had. And they've passed away. And for some of you, I believe that God may be saying to you right now, 
that life as you know it doesn't have to be over. That there's a hope and a future. Because this great story of Joshua and the nation of Israel begins with this leader, this great mighty man of God, Moses, and his death. And so today I want you to know if you're here and you walked in with discouragement that God is for you even in your darkest days, even in death. Because out of Moses' death, God paved the way for the whole nation of Israel to cross into the promised land. As a matter of fact, here's the interesting thing. We miss this sometimes. Uh, God would not allow Moses to lead them into the promised land because of something he did in his past. And, And so what they may not realize and what we may miss sometimes is that two million people are sitting there like across the river looking at the thing, looking at the victory that God's promised them, and they're probably very discouraged that their leader has died, but that leader couldn't lead them across the Jordan River. He couldn't take the land. What they didn't know is, is that Moses couldn't take the land, and that means that like, as long as he was alive, they couldn't either. Some of you who are leaders are like, oh, that scares me a little bit. <laughs> All right, I get that. I mean, there they were. They were right there. And so God's provision and his, his, uh, his, his promises of the past are true for them, and they're true for now. The hope that we have for our future should be rooted in what God has done in the past. I want to talk to you for a moment about this. Because some of you may be thinking, Todd, you have no idea what my past is. And I don't. You have no idea how bad how horrible my life has been and I don't but I want to tell you today that God does and the fact is is that because you're here and because you have breath in your lungs and you have life God has a promise for you the very fact that you're here today means that his promises are true in your life And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get discouraged and when I can't see his work in my life, i got to be honest with you, once I realize and once the fog is lifted, I realize the reason I couldn't see God's work in my life in the past, where I couldn't see his promises being fulfilled, was because I simply was not looking. I was so comfortable with the discouragement and the despair that I stopped looking for God. And his promises that have been fulfilled in the past. And I want to encourage you today, if you walk into this place and you're discouraged about the future, that he is for you. That he does have a plan for your life. That his promises are true in your life. Sometimes we just have to stop and get above the fog and look for them in our lives. God demonstrates this in all these verses. Do you notice how quickly in verse 1 and 2 he raised up Joshua? He wasn't like, hey, um, nation of Israel, Moses is dead. It's time to put a committee together to find a new leader. Go hire a consultant to help you search for a new leader. He wasn't like, hey, you need to get like a, you know, 100 people together and to determine what this is. The leader was already there with them, Joshua. He'd been assisting Moses, and God raised him up in an instant, proving that his promises are true. He quickly instructs Israel to just cross the river like it's right there. Have you ever, like, been at the point of, of like, you know, having some kind of victory in your life, and you didn't just take it? Have you ever been a fan of a sports team that can grab 
defeat from the jaws of victory like no other team. I, I am, that's the story of my life. I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, an Atlanta Braves fan, an Atlanta everything fan except the United Georgia Bulldogs. You name it. Like, I'm used to this. Like, being right there on the edge and just going, nope, I don't think I want that victory. I'm going to walk away. Man, it can be discouraging, can't it? It could be incredibly discouraging, and God quickly recalls in their life and in the nation of Israel the promises that he's made in the past. Look at the instruction that he gave them. Look at verse 2 when he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, he says, arise, Joshua, get up, go, lead. And then he says, into this land, he says, you and all these people, into the land that, what are those next two words? I am giving you. He states it in a way that gives them the, the assurance that he is for them. Look at verse 3. He says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread, say those next words, upon I what? Half. It's done. God is for you. He was for the nation of Israel. He was for Joshua. He is for you and he is for our church. God's part is that his faithfulness in the past gives us hope for the future. He even qualifies his promise in verse 5 with this guarantee. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And today, church, I want you to hear that God is for you and he is with you. He is also with and for our church. And if we look at our past, we can see that. You know, he's got great things in our future, and we'll talk about that next week. But I want you to stop for a second and look at what he has done in our past as a church. Um, we, we began in 2007 as a church of Low Country Community Church, uh, a church in Bluffton, and um, they, they launched us as, as, a, uh, as a church, as a partner church uh, um, and uh, a campus of Low Country Community Church, and God's done amazing things in our past. We started, you're going to see some video pop up here in a minute. We started um, down uh, at uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, let us um, meet in there in 2007. It was an amazing time in the life of our church. Um, you might get a glimpse of some of the younger versions of yourself, all right? So um, that's, that's my wife there. That's Cynthia. I think she, she's a, she looks amazing today. See, there you go, honey. Anyway, so more amazing than back then. I, I, maybe I get brownie points or maybe I'm in trouble. I don't care. Anyway, <laughs> we would load up and, 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 you know, load everything up and we would set up and tear down each and every week. And um, those, were, those were hard days. How many of you were with us or visited us back at the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Were any of you? There were a few of you. I know there's, yeah, there's a lot of you guys in here. That's, that's awesome. You guys have been journeying with us for that long. Um, and then God did an amazing thing. We, we were not, um, uh, weren't allowed to meet in there anymore in 2008. And uh, that's a nice way to say it. But anyway, and then uh, Hilton Head Christian Academy opened their doors to us. And uh, we met in there for nearly a year at Christian Academy. We met in a cafeteria. One of my favorite stories, there's the cafeteria and then the gym. We had to move in the gym. I realized we needed to move in the gym on a day when I was in the middle of preaching and somebody raised their hand to ask a question. I was like, 
This might be a little too informal and more, a little more like a small group. It's probably time for us to get a bigger venue. So they let us move in the gym for a while, and we really grew there. Um, we grew up to about 150 people. Um, it was there, I believe, I think I said it wrong in the last service, it was at that location at Christian Academy that the first person received Jesus Christ as their Savior in the life of this church. Isn't that cool? And that's why we do what we do. And dozens of people over the next few years accepted Jesus as their Savior. God opened the doors, and we moved into to a building at Office Park Road. How many of you were down at Office Park Road? Maybe a few more of you were, yep, a few more of you were down there at Office Park Road when we were meeting in that building that had very little air conditioning in the middle of the summer. Uh, it was hot. It was always hot. That's why we have it so cold in here all the time. We just have to make up for lost time. Uh, and uh, we had low ceilings, even for me. It was a low ceiling. It was very, very uncomfortable. Uh, but God was with us. And that's where we grew to about 200 or so. And we saw dozens and dozens of people come to faith in Jesus, many people uh, working in our community. And so listen, I want you to hear that not only do we look back and see the promises of God for the, for the Jewish people, not only do we see his promises fulfilled in our lives individually, but we as a church can look back and see his promises and know he's got a future for us. Back in 2011, Low Country Community Church launched us and we became our own church. And man, that was a scary time for myself and for our leadership team. We didn't know what was going to happen exactly, but God was with us. And over the course of the next few weeks, I, I'll tell you a little bit more about the story of him being with us in, in those, those years after 2011. Um, God's future plan is based on his past performance. But let, look at verses 6 through 9, the instruction that he gives to Joshua. He says this, Be strong and be courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Only, he says in verse 7, he repeats it, be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. He says, have I not commanded you? He says it a third time, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a great message, right? What a great message. And this is our part. This is the, the, second, the second part of, of um, the, I think, what we need to learn is, is that God has a role in what he's doing in our lives and what he's doing with our church, what he's doing with his people. But we have a role also. This is our part. I, I need to be ready to move ahead when God says go. I need to be ready to move ahead when God says go. Go. And I don't know about you, but sometimes the greatest challenge, the greatest like obstacle between me and, and, and what God's called me to do and doing his work is me, if I were really honest with you. I can try to blame it on everybody else in my life, and I do. 
You can ask my family. I try sometimes, but the greatest challenge sometimes is me. And for some of you, maybe you're here today and, and you're like, man, God's got something for me or he had something for me, but I wasn't ready at the time. Well, well I want to tell you today, it's time to get ready. It's time to prepare. And I believe that the equation that God gave to Joshua still stands today. And it's be strong, be courageous, and be obedient. Simply put. It's be strong, be courageous, and be obedient. And I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know what that means. But, but for me, if, if I can't get that last one down, if I can't, like, spend time in his word and understand his word and read his word and, and allow myself to be immersed in his word, then it is extremely difficult for me to do those first two. It's very hard for us to have strength and have courage when we aren't listening to what he's telling us to do. The whole point of Joshua's story is God had this great thing for him to do, but first God told him, Joshua, I don't care about what you do right now. I care more about who you are. And I think what some of us need to learn is that we need to learn that be comes before do with God. I think we need to learn that be comes before do with God. Like some, some of you are here today and you're just so frustrated with your life. And if you were really honest, the person that's most responsible is you. And God offers forgiveness and grace and it's right there for you to receive. He offers a brand new day today. He offers a brand new one tomorrow. And the greatest thing that you can do to see that great thing that accomplished that you feel like God has for you is just to get over the challenge of you. Edmund Hillary said, it's not the mountain that we conquer, but ourselves. And the greatest way that we can get over that is to trust and believe that God is in control to work on what goes on here and then be ready to go when God says go. And Joshua was ready with all the logistics. He had watched Moses. He knew the people. He was ready to go. He had been to all the training seminars. He had been to all the seminars. He had, he had you know, listened to all, all, all of everything that he needed to know about leading a group of people. But God still wanted him to work on the inside before he was ready to do the great thing for God. And I think that applies to some of us who are here today, that God has something that he wants us to work on. And I got two questions that I want you to ask yourself. First and foremost is, what's holding you back from fully trusting God in every area of your life? I think maybe sometimes we have this very clear mission that God's given us, this very clear job that God has for us. Students, maybe it's a career path that seems to be developing. Maybe for some of you, it's a new career. Maybe it's some, some new job that, that like has been presented to you, or maybe it's some volunteer thing here in this community or in, a, in our church or a leadership role. And, and for you, it's what's holding you back is just the belief that God is for you and he won't leave you. So what's holding you back from fully trusting God in every area of your life? 
That drives at belief and trust. The second question is, what has God already told you to move ahead with and you're not willing to move ahead with it? Maybe for some of you, it's not the idea of trust and belief. Maybe it's just, man, God has clearly shown me what I need to do, and I'm just standing at the edge of the river waiting for something to happen. Listen, God says to Joshua, go, arise, lead, take the people to the other side. And for some of you, maybe God's already worked on the bee and maybe it's time for you to just do that great thing that he has for you. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's something in your community. And you know that God has it for you to do. And you just need to do it. I know that for us as a church, we need to be prepared to go. We've got a lot of things that I believe that God has in front of us. You, you, all of you, most of you know that um, we, we purchased this building right across the parking lot here, with the one with the green roof, by the way. Um, and by the way, I had somebody in between services say, um, so when are we moving out? of here and moving in there. And I'm like, no, that's not what we're doing. Sorry, I may have communicated that. That is not what we're doing. This is, um, this is what God has given us as kind of the next thing. And we've got some plans that, that he has given us with missions and some, some amazing things in front of us. But for us, that thing that is standing in the way of us doing the great things for God is, is just like trusting him enough with the money, trusting him enough with the plans. He's got amazing things. I'll be telling you more about that in the weeks to come. I, I want to let you know our all-in generosity initiative as a church, we raised $3 million uh, on paper and pledges. Um, you all have, and at the year mark, we're about at the year mark, you all have reached half of that. We've reached $1.5 million in cash, and I'm so thankful, and I'm so proud. And I'm so thankful for what God has done. But I believe he's got great things ahead of us. And church, we as a church need to be individually ready. We need to prepare our hearts for what God has next. We need to collectively prepare our hearts for what God has next. For you and for me, that may not be something that's comfortable. He is for you. But he is for you, uh, for for. Your life, he, he wants to see the greatest thing accomplished for you and for your life. But that is best realized when we are in his word, when we are in the flow of what he is doing, and we join in with him, not the other way around. Man, sometimes we, wanna, we want God to do that for us, don't we? Like, we don't want to get on his page. We want God to get on our page. I hope and I pray that we as a church are ready for that great thing. I hope that we're prepared for what's next for God to accomplish. I hope and I pray that we are ready to walk into that success and prosperity that he has that's not like the world says, but it's a prosperity and a success that comes from him when we are strong, when we're courageous, and when we are obedient to his word. It's not always easy. It's not going to be without challenges. It's not going to be without hurdles. It's not going to be without us getting blindsided a time or two. But we always need to remember that he is faithful. He is strong. And I want you to hear today that he will not leave you. And he will not forsake you.
Father, I thank you so much for this great promise that you gave to Joshua, that you gave to the nation of Israel, your people, back then. It was built on in the future and the hope and the promise was built on what you had already done in their past. And God, I pray for anyone who walked into these doors today and when they think about the future, they cringe. They're sickened. Because right now, their world is pretty dark. God, I pray that you, right now, that your Holy Spirit would give them a word of confidence that you are with them. That regardless of how dark it may be, regardless of how thick the fog is right now, that you are with them. Just like those promises we read about, it's for sure. It's guaranteed. God, I pray that in those moments of weakness that we, myself included, would trust you when the darkness comes and when the fog begins to build because we know what you've done in the past. God, I pray for those who are here today who they know exactly what you have for them. They know what their future is. They know what your purpose is and your plan is, and, but they will not move. God, I pray that you would give them strength and courage to be able to take action, to be able to go when you say go. And we as a church, God, collectively, I pray that you would allow us to be prepared to go when you say to go. God, I pray that you would help us to do that great audacious thing for you that you want for us. But God, I pray in the meantime, God, we would learn to trust you. God, we would learn what it means to fully have strength and confidence that don't come from within, but come from you, Father God. God, completely reliant on you. God, help us to follow your ways in obedience. Help us to follow your word in obedience so that we are people who are ready to follow you, the mighty and strong and faithful God that you are. I pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said.